1: Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Olaf Storbeck, the FT's new financial correspondent in Frankfurt, Martin Arnold, our banking editor, and Emma Dunkley, our retail banking correspondent. This week, we'll be looking at the latest woes at Deutsche Bank, as John Cryan, the chief executive, comes under pressure from investors. We'll be looking at TSB, as there's a delay in their latest IT project, And finally, HSBC, Mark Tucker takes the reins as chairman and makes a very quick decision on a new chief executive. First, though, to Deutsche Bank. And Olaf, you're just in the seat. Before you fly out to Frankfurt, you're here in the studio in London. So thanks for joining us. Interesting times for Deutsche Bank. Obviously, they've had a pretty tough couple of years. The share price is close to all-time lows, so in one sense, it's no surprise that investors are not particularly happy. They're starting to speak out a little bit, both in the British and the German press. What do you think is at the root of their unease, apart from the share price?
2: Well, the performance of Deutsche has been quite dreadful over the last couple of years since John Cryan joined as CEO the stock really underperformed the dax significantly it's down 40% while well, the dax is up 17 if you look at their performance in terms of return on tangible assets it has improved a bit but it's still way below what they are targeting so it was at 3% in the second quarter they are targeting 10 and progress in terms of cost cutting is happening but it's really slow and at the same time revenue is falling much faster than they can take out costs so Basically, John Crane has to run faster to stand still, actually.
1: And is it right to blame him? To what extent is this legacy issues coming back to haunt him or are many of these problems, problems of his own making?
2: Well, the root of the problems is obviously dating from a long time before he joined the bank. One accusation you can probably make is that he, as a member of the supervisory board, backed the strategy which he then later, as a CEO, took some time to reconsider and eventually aborted in terms of selling post bank one of their two German retail banks. Now they came to the conclusion to fully integrate it into their own retail unit, which arguably could have been made earlier this decision. And also I mean, the whole strategy he presented is supposed to be implemented by twenty twenty, so it's a long time period. And um there is progress but it's not for now not really big.
1: So the big question, I suppose, for him at least, is will he be allowed to stay in the role and implement this 2020 plan? I think his own contract runs uh, over the same time period. Is he going to be allowed to stay?
2: Well, For now, I would say he hasn't made any obvious blunders in implementing the strategy. There is progress on the cost side. He has to get the revenue problem under control. I mean, if you look at the investment bank, which contributes more than half of the revenues, it dropped 16% in the second quarter. So if he can't stop that, he'll be in trouble. But there are other things which are in the pipeline. They're going to list a minority stake in the asset management unit, most probably in the first half of next year. If that works well and take into account they did this massive capital increase earlier this year 8 billion euros which improved their capital position they settled all the key legal issues in the US so I think for now he probably deserves the benefit of the doubt.
1: Okay well we'll keep a close eye on it and I'm sure you will when you're in Frankfurt. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's move on to our second story of the day, a look at TSB, which is engaged in a pretty mammoth IT project to move its systems over from ones it's been borrowing from Lloyds Bank, which used to own it, of course, to its own systems. And Emma, there's been a delay.
3: Yes, so the bank had originally planned to shift all of its customers onto this new technology platform that it's been building in the first weekend of November. However, Chief Executive Paul Pester announced that Now the migration of its customers onto the platform will be delayed until the first quarter of next year. And interestingly, the bank has blamed a likely increase in interest rates. The thinking being that if there is an increase in interest rates, the first one since March 2009, then he expects many of his customers to come back with queries. They may need to change their mortgage deals. They might need to move savings. Essentially, the customer services will be deluged with calls, And as a result, they need their systems and operations online, so hence the delay. However, as a result of postponing this move, Mr Pester said that he expects the bank to incur an extra £70 million in costs as a result of still needing to use Lloyds Bank's system to keep itself running and also to employ extra manpower and resources to continue building the new system. But it's also worth noting that it's very unlikely that it's just a potential interest rate increase that is causing this delay in itself. And Mr Pester conceded, in fact, that there have been a few defects in the new system that they're building, which does highlight that building any new technology platform is inherently risky and is likely to take longer than many people expect and likely to incur more costs.
1: Because, of course, there's a horrible parallel here that I'm sure TSB will be aware of and won't like us drawing. With RBS, Royal Bank of Scotland, which I think I'm right in saying spent one and a half billion pounds trying to carve out a new IT system from its own systems when it was trying to spin off this Williams and Glynn operation.
3: Exactly. So both Lloyds and RBS were forced to divest TSB and Williams & Glynn respectively as a result of EU state aid rules for receiving a bailout during the financial crisis. But both of them took very different approaches. So whereas Lloyds spun out TSB and eventually sold it to Spanish bank Sabadell and allowed it to use its own systems while it created a new platform in the meantime – RBS chose to build a new platform from scratch. And the problem with this is that it took way longer, was beset by many issues and cost a lot more money than expected, ultimately more than £1.5 billion. And as a result of all the issues that RBS faced in attempting to build a new system that was mirrored on its own platform whilst also plugging in new capabilities, as a result of all the issues it ended up abandoning the project, meaning that all that money essentially went to waste.
1: Yes. Well, TSB, thankfully, is a slightly less complicated bank. And even if there are some glitches, it sounds like the system should be up and running, at least with a little bit of delay early next year. We'll keep an eye on that. Let's move on to our final topic of the day and a look at HSBC, where Mark Tucker, the new chairman, only in place officially since the beginning of the week, has already decided on a new chief executive, Martin.
4: Indeed, like the nippy winger that he used to be when he played professional football as a trainee in the UK, Mark Tucker has wasted little time in making his mark at HSBC and has already decided who will be the successor to Stuart Gulliver as chief executive. So who will it be? Ah, good question, Patrick. Well, we know that the bank has put the name forward to regulators and the Bank of England's Prudential Regulation Authority is reviewing that person, but we don't know for sure, for definite, who it is. We are 90% sure that it is John Flint. Most investors and insiders at the bank and observers of the bank think that John Flint is the choice. And I've had nobody tell me that, having written that story, that we're wrong. He's been groomed pretty much since he joined HSBC in the 1980s for this role. He's the chosen successor of the outgoing CEO, Stuart Gulliver. He has a lot of experience, spent 14 years in Asia, where the bank makes most of its profits. He's been in the investment bank. He now runs the retail and wealth management business. He is the natural candidate if you're choosing an insider. The other runners and riders for the role internally include Ian Mackay, who's the finance director, and also Samir Asaf, who runs the GBM business, the global banking and markets business, which is essentially their trading an investment banking business. But the investors say that Ian Mackay, whilst he's a very good FD and very well respected, they're not sure he could make that transition to the CEO be a bit of a risk. It's different skills being an FD and being a CEO. And Samir Asaf, whilst he's also well liked and well respected, the problem there is that it would probably send the wrong signal in terms of appointing the head of a business that most investors would like to see HSBC continuing to prune and trim back rather than, adding more capital to and expanding because they'd rather see HSBC expand in Asia and in areas like insurance and asset management and and areas like that. So it will be very interesting to see. I'm pretty sure that John Flint is the choice, but we have to wait until the regulator has approved that before HSBC will announce it.
1: Well, we'll keep an eye on that and obviously all the other things that the new chairman, Mark Tucker, formerly of the Prudential Insurance Group in the UK and then AIA in Hong Kong, what he will do. He's known as a dynamic chap, as you say. So I'm sure there'll be lots of news coming out of HSBC in the coming months. Thank you for that. That's all for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank Martin, Emma and Olaf here. And also thank you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.